0: Listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit SouthPoint.org. I'm so thankful for many things. Uh, but I want to take a moment just to say thank y'all as a church body uh, for letting me stand and preach each and every week. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, my family, the, the fact I've got a wife and a couple of boys. And I know this this time of year, but I don't want it to go by without saying thank you to y'all. Uh, this has been a a difficult couple of years, and uh, even for me personally, a difficult couple of weeks and months. Uh, and so many of y'all. Uh, know about some of those things, and, and that's okay if you don't know about all those things. But I just want to say thank you. Uh, a couple months ago, uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, I guess last month, so many notes and cards were written and given, and uh, they were just so encouraging to me and to my soul. Uh, and so thank you for engaging as a body and for welcoming, welcoming me here, uh, listening to me preach almost every week. Uh, on behalf of the pastors, we're incredibly thankful to lead y'all. Uh, I'm thankful for friendships and for the mercy of God just so evident. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. Uh, I'm thankful each and every day is something else where the mercy of God is new. Uh, My brother and my sister walked in this morning. I didn't know they were going to be here. Uh, And I'm thankful to have them worshiping with us. Just so many things. When we look around, uh, may we not be enraptured by the things of this culture that are telling us to be thankful for just real small, pithy things. But may we be thankful for the things of eternity, and I'm looking forward to worshiping with y'all around the throne of God uh, this morning, next week, next month, next year, but for all of eternity. And so I'm thankful for that, that this is just a bit of a foretaste of what's going to be happening for all of eternity, and that's just really encouraging to my soul. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter nine. We're going to be looking at about ten verses. So, if you want to go there with me, you can. We can go to Luke chapter nine. And one thing that I think is true for all of us, and this would be, uh, this is kind of an obvious thing for most folks, but everyone wants a relationship with God. By and large, everyone wants a relationship with God. We we see it all around us. We have this, we have a variety of religions that say, well, here's God, let's figure out the best way to get to him. I was watching, you know, my love for documentaries. Me and my wife were watching a documentary a few weeks ago, and it was called The Way Down. Way, W-E-I-G-H, The Way Down. And this lady started this weight loss uh, program, and eventually it turned into a church. You're like, uh, that doesn't seem, I know, man, that's why it's a documentary. I don't watch boring documentaries. And so, but eventually it got to, hey, God wants you to be skinny. In order to be uh, with God, you've got to be skinny. And let me start this church because that's a way of making money. It was crazy. Uh, the, the, uh, the leader, the lady and all of her main leaders, she was the, the head pastor there. Uh, it was up in uh, just north of Nashville, I think in Brentwood, Tennessee. And th- there was a plane and she actually died back in May of this year. It was crazy. So we're watching this documentary like the first week in October. Uh, the very next day we were in North Georgia, me and Shannon, and we met this couple who had been to her church. I mean like this mega church. So you're like, this is like some little small, weird cult. No, it was thousands of people, this whole way down, method way down. It was, it was nuts. But we are looking for a way to get to God. It's all the way around us. Here's what's interesting though, is that your view and perception of God will never disagree with you. You're like, well, hold, hold on a second. What do you mean? If you're pro-gun, if you're like, everybody should have a gun, pro-guns, guess what? So is God. If, if you're pro-choice, guess what? So is God. If you're a Republican, so is God. If you're a Democrat, so is God, right? If you're okay with making lots of money, then God's okay with that. If your gospel is based on being as poor as possible, that's because God wants you to be there. Well, you're not as rich as somebody else. That's because you're in this nice middle ground. That's where God wants you. That's true for all of us. With none of us, do we look at God and say, man, God doesn't appreciate this. He he disagrees with my perspective on this. If we actually believed in God, which most of us do, and we said, this is the way that he wants me to live, and these two things don't correlate, we're going to change the way that we live. But we don't. We change our perspective and our perception of God, right? And those two things can can clash. And there are some things that we don't know if we don't know if God is pro-gun or pro Well, look at the Old Testament. I'm like, true, did they have guns? No. <laughs> you're like, are you saying you're you're no, I've got guns in my house. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there are some things we don't know for sure if God is or he's not. But we put these things on God. But we're gonna answer a few questions this morning. Here's the point of this passage as we look at this, and we're gonna open it and read through it in just a minute. The most important question that we can answer in our lives is the question of who is God? That's what we base our lives on. And so we're gonna answer this question of who is Jesus. We're gonna begin right here. And I would venture to say that we're okay with Jesus as long as it means we don't have to take up our cross. By and large, that's our preference. We don't actually want to die to ourselves. So here's what I want us to do before we jump in. I want us to take a moment, just in the stillness of your seat, I want you to ask the Father before we jump into Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. I want you to ask the Father what he wants to show you this morning. That's it. I want you to ask him what he wants to show you, and I want you to tell him that you want to know more of him this morning. So let's just do that there in the stillness of your seat, and then we'll jump into Luke chapter 9. Father, we want to see you high and lifted up here this morning. Transform our hearts. Bring conviction, bring encouragement. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Psalm chapter 119. Haley, if you can put the slide before that, I want you to repeat this after me. And as we look at this passage, may this be our prayer this morning. Repeat these lines after me. Open my eyes that I may receive God's wonderful word to me. Amen. That's our prayer. In verse number 18, there in Luke 9, we were going to answer this question, who is Jesus? So look there with me. Verse 18, he, it says this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, talking about Jesus, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am. And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus begins by saying, who do you say that I am? And look how the disciples respond. They respond with this Public opinion poll, Elijah or a prophet or somebody else. We don't really know. John the Baptist, who came back from the dead, we're not sure. But notice here, Jesus says, But who do you say that I am? And in the Greek, that emphasis there, the you is actually at the very end of the sentence, which means that's the emphasis of that sentence. So he's saying, I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about who you say that I am. Who do you say? That's the single most important question that all of us must answer this morning is, who do you say that Jesus is? This is this is Heaven's pop quiz for all of humanity. And there's only one question on it. It's not how good were you or how much money did you give or what did you look like or where were you from or what was your family history or what was your origin or what did you think about this? Or what's your perspective on this doctrine or this philosophy or this theology? How did you fare on eschatology or did you save enough people? No, no. The one question is who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? That's the one question. Now, many people will say a lot of things about Jesus. Many will say that he was a good man, but not necessarily the God man. A good man, but not necessarily the God man. You have Mormons, you have Catholics, you have even some Christians who say he, he was an example, he was a prophet, he was a priest. You have Buddhists who say, yeah, he was a really good teacher, he was an example. There's actually a cult in Canada, and they have this mushroom, and they call it Jesus, and they all smoke it and get naked and run around. And so the, the answer to them, if you said, what is Jesus? They would say that. Now, we look and we're like, man, that's a, that's a little crazy, my question for us, if somebody were to look at our lives and say, here's what we say Jesus is, is that evident in the way that we live? So notice Peter's answer. So he says, who do you say that I am? And he said to them, uh, and Peter answered him at the very end of verse number 20. He says, the Christ of God. Now, if we look back at a corresponding a parallel passage in Matthew 16, what Matthew tells us is this answer did not come from Peter himself, but this had to be illuminated to Peter by God the Father. And so Peter wasn't just like, well, yeah, we know the answer to this. God had to step in, which is kind of crazy because at this point, we've seen Jesus who is healed, who has made food appear out of nowhere. We've seen Jesus walking around. People were dead. They're brought back to life. They're blind. Now they can see. They can't walk. Now they can. Well, last week, a woman, she was, uh, she was messed up and, you know, with, a, with a malady from the time that, for 12 years, and now she's great. So they're sitting there like, uh, Christ, the God. They don't even know the answer to this. And we're like, come on, disciples, this is so easy. you got to know who this is. The Spirit had to illuminate it to them. What well, this phrase, the Christ of God right there, literally what that means is Peter is saying, you are the Messiah, the one that we have been waiting for. This is the long awaited Messiah. He's the one who's going to come and save. Now, this phrase, Messiah, What it means is this one is anointed normally by a king for a specific objective. And so the disciples, and we know this, and we're going to see this later, even in this chapter when we pick this back up next year, they're looking for this Messiah to come in with a political regime and conquer with great military power. And so when Peter says Christ, uh, the Christ of God, He's not necessarily saying, oh, you're the one who's here to take away the sins of the world. Even by saying this, he does not understand what he is saying. He doesn't get it. God had to say, just, it's the Messiah, Christ, the one who's sent. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. He's saying, this is Messiah. He's the one who who was sent on this mission. And Peter and the disciples are thinking, yes, finally, we get to conquer. We get to overthrow the Roman Empire. They have no idea what they're talking about. Notice what Jesus says in verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them. Now, maybe your translation actually has, ai think, a better translation of that Greek word for charged. That word charged there doesn't mean, let me charge you. It, it more means to rebuke you. He rebuked him. He says, no, you don't even understand, Peter. You don't understand the context when you say Christ of God. You don't know what that means because here he says, let me tell you what it means to be the Messiah. Let me explain this to you in context. Verse 22 saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. This is by the way, the very first time that the disciples say, you are the Christ of God in this whole, so far in Luke. It's the very first time. Jesus is like, man, we've, we've just spent the past eight and a half chapters looking at who I am, at my identity, at my work, at what I've done, at who I've created you to be, at all these things I've done for people. Now let me ask you who I am. And finally they get around to saying, oh, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, you don't even understand. I came to die. He says, I must do these things. Could Jesus have come in power? Could he have come down with a sword? We can say, ah, well, maybe let's talk about, here's what we know is that the scripture says he must do these things. The reason that he must do these things is because of his love for us, because we as his people had turned our backs on him. We had forsaken him. We were condemned apart from him. So we needed someone to step in and die in our place. So he lived for us. He died for us. And then we're going to see, he says it right here, that I'm going to be resurrected for you. I'm going to come back to life. This is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Luke says, man, this is foundational for the disciples. This is foundational for the church. And I'll tell you this morning, friend, this is foundational for your life. What you believe about Jesus as a person and as a savior, it's foundational for your life. It is the most important question, Who is Jesus? It's the most important question that you will ever answer in your life before we get into verse 23, and we look at how we follow. Can I tell you this morning that my greatest concern I, I'm, I'm concerned for the marriages in this room. You're like, "Ah, oh, what do you know about my marriage?" I just know that, that there, are, there are issues that are brought to bear for, to the pastors often. I'm concerned for, and we talked about this at our partners meeting at the end of October, that we're concerned for the purity of those in this room. We're concerned for spiritual fruit to be evident in our lives. We're concerned for the lost around us. We're concerned that our people are giving sacrificially, all of those things are concerns for us as pastors. All of those things are concerns for me. But my greatest concern is for your soul. That's my greatest concern. And my biggest fear is not that we're going to have poor marriages or not that we're going to not be able to afford this building or, or not that we're going to have enough people show up at a certain point or give a certain amount or what the next step is or cast the right vision or have the right mission. My greatest fear is that for some of the folks in this body and in this room are going to come here week after week and hear about Jesus Christ and not realize who he is until it is too late and their souls are being tormented in hell for all of eternity. That's my greatest fear. And so I would plead with you this morning, please answer this question, who is Jesus? And if he is the Messiah, you must respond in faith. Please. Who is Jesus? The second question that we're going to answer this morning, and we'll look at these next five verses what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Now, this is this is the second question, not the first one. The first one is a question of Christ's identity. This is a question of our response, of his activity in us, on us, through us. Look at verse 23. And he said to all, can I just, real quick, sorry, my bad. Consider the emotional state of the disciples here. Consider how, now they have not yet, we have the, the vantage of looking back and understanding what's going to happen in Christ's life. We know that he's going to be crucified. We've got the Bible. Even if you've never been to a church in your entire life, this is your first time here this morning, and you're like, oh, I showed up for whatever reason. Somebody invited me, or I thought it would be good. Whatever it is, you, know, you probably know that Jesus died on a cross. The disciples don't yet know that. So consider that for a minute. Jesus calls you. He does all this awesome stuff. You still don't quite understand it. Every every time you know Jesus is like, hey, we're in a bind, the disciples will start freaking out. Jesus is like, you can do it. You can do it. I'm I'm God. I'm the Messiah. They just said he's Christ as God. Notice what he says to them. So consider that perspective for a second. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, we see here the disciples, I would imagine, if you're thinking about it, if you're hearing Jesus say that for the first time, I would imagine you're confused. I would imagine you're scared. You, you were hoping this Messiah was going to bring military power with him, and he just said, instead of great victory, I want you to experience death. I want you to die to yourself rather than reigning victoriously in this life. We're often confused by this idea of taking up your cross. You ever heard somebody say, oh man, that's just my cross to bear. I I talked to a lady yesterday and she said, can you just, can you confirm to me that I'm a Christian? And I was like, that is a really interesting question. I said, I said, it's simple, but it's not necessarily easy. I said, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, then you will be saved. She said, okay, I believe that. I said, awesome. It also means you that means you're dying to yourself. And she said, ah, she said, I crucify myself every single day. I feel this shame. I feel this guilt. I'm trying to find forgiveness. I said, I don't think you understand what it means to crucify yourself. I don't think you understand. She said, well, that's just my cross to bear. We had this idea. Oh, man, you know what? I... Uh, I had too many drinks, and then I got a DUI. That's just my cross to bear. Ah! It might be, but that's different than what Luke is talking about right here. Because when Jesus says, take up your cross, here's what he means. He doesn't mean because you made a really poor decision. He doesn't mean because I can't handle this cross, and so you've got to crucify yourself. What he means is the kingdom... Him as our king, we as his servants. The kingdom is based on the cross. It's based on dying to yourself and worshiping God only. So if you want to be part of that kingdom, he says you must crucify yourself. And we don't die to ourselves because Jesus can't do it for us. No, we die to ourselves. You die to you because Jesus died for you. That's that's how we're able to die to ourselves. So notice here, we have these misperceptions. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? Three things. One, there's a requirement. He says in verse number 23, we have here the requirement. He says, "This this is a cross. You take up your cross. We have this idea of follow. If you want to follow someone, you click a button. Most of the time, who do you follow online? Well, I follow this person, I follow this girl, I follow this interior designer, whatever that is. He says, here, that's not like that. We don't follow Jesus by clicking a button, but by laying down our lives. So the first thing is to understand how to follow Jesus. The first requirement is to deny yourself. He says in verse 23, let him deny himself. That literally means you become an apostate, an enemy, a stranger to yourself. Any attempt at discipleship that does not involve turning your back completely on autonomy and self-love is not following Jesus. If you're just like, let me, let me keep some of this in here. Let me keep some of my old, some of my selfish, that's not following Jesus. I heard a commentator, read a commentator this week, he said this. If we want to make Christ the Savior, the Master, the Lord of our lives, we must first remove ourselves from that place. Someone is going to rule your life. And Jesus says, you must deny yourself as the ruler of your life. Secondly, the second requirement is to die. He says, take up your cross. That's a one-way road to death. This is not adding Jesus to your list of priorities and preferences and saying, hey, Jesus, thanks so much. I've got all these other things, and I can just kind of tack on Jesus on the end. That's what that lady yesterday was trying to do. She was like, okay, can you just confirm this for me so I can go live the way that I want to live? That's essentially what she was saying. I was like, I can't do that. Notice here, but, but what about when it says, if anyone? Uh, what about whosoever? Do you believe? In, I had this one time in a job interview. They said, do you believe in a whosoever gospel? I said, whosoever What? Well, you know, John 3, 16, whosoever. And we kind of went round and round. You know, I played the ah, ignorant card. But here's what Jesus says right here. If anyone, well, if anyone, but he doesn't say everyone. He says, if anyone will do this, this is available for anyone. But here's the requirement. If anyone will lay down his life, you must comply with death. This excludes anyone with a different view of discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, when Christ bids a man to follow him, he bids him to come and die. Not only do we deny ourselves as the first requirement, the second requirement is that we die. But thirdly, we must die daily. He says it right there. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily daily and follow me. In other words, this is going to impact every single part of your life, from your finances, to your relationships, to your time management, to the way that you parent your kids, to the way that you love your wife, to the way that you work, to the way that you engage your neighbors. He says, this is going to impact every single part of you, every single morning, what you watch on television, how many hours of Netflix you stream, what your goals and what your successes are, how you set standards and and visions for your life, this is going to impact it. Every single morning, wake up and take up that cross of Christ and say, good morning, cross. I'm here for the sake of the kingdom because that's what Jesus Christ requires. Now, some of y'all are like, let me tell you something. The person that I'm married to is my cross to bear. So I would not wake up every single morning and say, good morning, cross. It's good to see you. Where do you want to go for breakfast? I'm not saying you call your spouse that to their face. But we wake up every single morning, we say good morning to the cross daily. We don't look back at a decision that we made, but we're routinely submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The reason that Jesus pushed this here as a requirement is so that we won't get to the end of time or, or you wake up one morning, you're like, oh man, life hurts. Man, being, being put on this cross, this, this really hurts. Jesus, why does my life, why am I suffering? Why am I not getting what I want? Why is there pain? Why is there depression? Why are all these things in my life? And Jesus says, this is what you signed up for. This is what you signed up for. So from the very beginning, Jesus is not a great salesman, by the way. You would think, he would begin by saying, look at all these good things you can have for all of eternity. And we're going to see in just a minute, this is the reason he says this. But first, you must die to yourself. You must die to yourself. He makes no bones about it. Secondly, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We see the requirement, but secondly, we see the reason. The reason in verse number 24, but whoever would save his life will lose it. Because if he said, hey, let me tell you all the good things I'm going to bring to your life, we would say, okay, let me add those on to all the good things that I already have. Because our goal is to save our lives, both here and forever. But he says, first, you must lose your life here. The reason for that is because nothing is worth your soul. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Consider the way that you've tried to find salvation for your own soul. Consider that for yourself. For many of us, we've, we've, gone, we've gone to success. We, we've gone to finances. We've gone to a relationship. And all of those things have left us broken. In all the endeavors of life, they are always going to leave us broken. Consider the enemy. So if we think here about life and death, what is the enemy's ultimate objective? Is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Do not put it past the enemy to look at this passage and say, ah, man, I don't, I don't think you actually need to sacrifice that much. God doesn't really want you to sacrifice all of your life here. If you hear that in the back of your head, when you feel him saying that to you, understand that is the enemy. He wants to bring life to you now, but it's so that you can be dead for all of eternity. Jesus Christ, however, he wants to offer life. He wants you to find your truest identity in him. Because Jesus Christ and him alone is the one who offers peace. It's Christ alone who offers joy, who offers hope, who offers meaning in this life and for the next. And we know that because he's the one who designed us. He knows how we operate. So the reason that Christ says, die to yourself, is so that we can find life in him. He is trustworthy. His word is true. But then lastly, we see here that there is reward. What does it mean to follow Jesus? There is a requirement that you deny yourself, that you die to yourself. You do that daily. The reason is so that we can find life And we can find this reward. Notice in verse 26, But whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a worse situation or scenario than that? When you stand before Jesus and Jesus says, I am ashamed of you. I never knew you. Get behind me. Be separated from me for all of eternity. Can you imagine anything worse than verse 27? But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the reward, the kingdom of God. Commentators are are torn on what this kingdom of God means. Some say it's the transfiguration that we're going to look at uh, in the very next set of verses. Some would say it's the resurrection of Jesus. Some would say uh, it's when Jerusalem is sacked in AD 70. I think that kingdom of God, and if we look at the context of Luke It's the people of God working on the mission of God as his kingdom that he inaugurates with the church. That's us. And so he's saying, there are some of y'all here, when the kingdom of God is realized in the people of God, y'all are going to be part of that very first church. So he says, live for that kingdom. There is great reward in being part of that kingdom. And there's great reward when the Son of Man says, I'm not ashamed of you. No, you are mine. I am your reward. So for whatever we experience in this life, we're to be giving our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God, of the local church and of his kingdom that's going to reign for all time. That's not easy. We're we're an instant gratification society, right? Right? I barely have an oven hooked up in my new house, but I've got a microwave. I've got fast food down the road. We want everything now. I made sure to get the fastest internet in my house because I didn't want to wait, you know, like milliseconds for a website to look. I want it right now. I want everything right now. It's instant gratification. But we're waiting on the reward of Christ. And Christ says to be faithful, to be faithful in that waiting because it is worth it. So many days you may wake up and say, man, do I have to do this today? Yeah, daily. He says, surrender to me daily, yet again. And I would plead with you, friend. You're like, okay, what does that mean? What do I have to get rid of? Here's what that means. You look to Christ. When we look at the cross, we don't just see death, but we see life. So the point of this passage, Jesus doesn't say, I want you to die just so you feel bad. Put all these things to death, 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 death. Die, deny yourself. The point of this passage is to bring life. When we put all of those things that are are weighing us down, that have us tied down to this world, he's saying get rid of those. There's nothing but death in those. So put those things to death. Run to Jesus. Look to the cross. In the cross, there is life. Only in the cross can we find forgiveness. There's no other way to find forgiveness. Only on the cross can we find compassion because we have the God of the universe who suffered at the hands of men and women. Only at the cross do we have love. Apart from the cross, we, don't even, we can't see that. We cannot experience that or fathom that. Only at the cross do we see justice laid on Jesus Christ by the Father. Only at the, only at the cross can your sin be dealt with. Only at the cross can that addiction that you have be healed. So we look to the cross not to be reminded of death, but we look at the cross to be reminded of life. And there is great life in Jesus Christ. With him there is hope. With him there is peace. With him there is meaning in life. So look to Jesus. Run to Jesus The last question I want to answer this morning, what would it mean to lose your life today in order to save it in the end? In other words, what am I living for today? What am I hoping to gain by my actions today? I've got plans for the afternoon. I've got plans for the week. I've got plans for the rest of this year. I've got plans for next year. I've got plans for 10 years from now. I've got plans. What am I hoping to gain? What am I hoping to accomplish with all of those plans? And if they are not the same plans that Christ has for his kingdom, I must be putting those things to death. What am I hoping to gain? What am I hoping to accomplish? How long will those things last? There there are some in this room you're like, yeah, I've, I've committed my life to Christ. I want to talk to those who have never put their faith in Jesus for a second. Or maybe you're not really sure. I would ask you this Is Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? Or are you looking to something else? Are you looking to something else? I would plead with you to confess your sin. You're like, well, I've still got questions. I understand that. Put your faith in what you know, that Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God, and that he lived the life that you were designed to live thousands of years ago. And he died the death that you deserved to die, experiencing separation and the wrath of God the Father. And he rose three days later, victorious over our enemy, victorious over the grave, victorious over death. Confess your sin, repent, and turn to him. That's it. That's it. That's what he calls us to do. You're going to stand before God. We're all going to stand before God one day. We are either going to stand before God in our sin or in Christ. We're not going to stand before God in our good works. He's not going to pull out the scale and say, did you have more good than bad? Well, congratulations. Welcome to heaven. He's not going to say, yeah, it was really close. I guess we'll put you in heaven, but it's going to be like a real ghetto part. He doesn't say that. We're either going to stand before God in our sin and be condemned and separated from him forever, or we're going to be in Christ. He laid down his glory to suffer death. He calls us to lay down our lives so that we can receive his life. I'm going to ask you this morning to close your eyes, bow your heads with me for just a moment, Maybe you've been pursuing your kingdom instead of his. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you need to deny yourself. Maybe you need to experience revival in your heart. I talked to a brother this past week, and he said, man, things just aren't clicking. They just don't make sense. I need the presence of Jesus in my life. Maybe you need to find that joy again in the presence and relationship with God. Maybe you need to repent of not considering your identity in Christ, but putting your identity in something else. If you say, that's me. Maybe you say, I've committed my life to Christ, but I'm not taking up my cross every single day. Would you just raise your hand? You can raise your hand, nobody's looking around. And I'm gonna pray for you, just for a moment. You can keep your hand up. Nothing magical about that. But I want you to identify and say, man, I need to be daily sacrificing, daily finding my joy in Jesus Christ and him alone. Father, for the souls in this room and for those hands that are raised, we pray for a greater grace, for greater faith, for greater mercy than we are experiencing right now. Not because you have moved, but because we have. I pray that the the shackles would be dropped from our hands, that the blinders would be taken off of our eyes, that the selfish endeavors, ambitions of this world would be seen for what they are as being small and temporary and insignificant in the light of all of eternity. Father, we raise our hands with nothing in them, nothing to bring but we're asking that you would fill them with yourself, that you would fill them with a greater knowledge and presence and joy of who you are and that through that, we would be experiencing life the way that we were created to experience it. We surrender now. It's in Christ's name, amen. Amen.